0: Dear Greg, I'm writing to you from my home here in uh, South Missouri. I need to divorce my pet rock. Now, my pet rock and I have been together for a while, but he's just not cutting it anymore. So my question for you is this, as it is a rock and therefore an inanimate object, and I entered into this willingly against the state of Missouri's better sense, Do I owe any sort of alimony to The Rock, having been married to The Rock now for over 10 years, you know, in terms of Missouri? Or should I just stay married to The Rock and just put up with it? Sincerely, Gladys. It depends on the pet rock's behavior.
1: Did the pet rock cheat on Gladys? She, she sent saved. some
0: pictures that are kind of a little racy, but she doesn't explain what they mean. The pet rock with other women or- are... It's a lot of rocks. Like, <clears throat> you ever see those Zin stack rocks thing? Is that a rock?
2: I'm <laughs> so just wondering yeah, if the relationship was ever consummated. That was my question. <laughs> Welcome. To another episode of the Law Offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker on the September seventh, two thousand twenty-two. We've made it to the first week of September. I can't believe it. We've all survived, and our client for today is—you know—I suddenly forgot what our client. Oh, yes, our client for today is geeks, nerds, and dweebs.
0: I'm having trouble. Behold, Trapped in a hellscape of their own invention, socially unaware old white men bound by the pretense of being fake lawyers yet knowing no law, no exquisite Latin terminology, they are inexplicably compelled to quibble over minutia, squabble over triflings and bicker like those who value their backyards far too highly without even knowing the difference between an easement and an alleyway. At this very moment, you have entered the heart of the law offices of quibble, squabble, and bigger. Let's get started. I'm a recent transplant to Portland, having escaped from the uh, hellscape that is Florida. Just kidding, Florida. As a Florida refugee, I enjoy spotlighting many hip and trendy restaurants and bars in the area. And tonight's sponsor really gets you where it matters. The newest hotspot for the bougie brunch gang is Hot Crow Eating Cat Boot Cafe. These artisan scavengers bring together some of Portland's best street garbage and dumpster overflow. All the trash is locally sourced, mostly off of Interstate North Portland, and serve generally warm, depending on local weather conditions, in fully recycled and reusable fast food bags. For a cool treat, stop by during the winter months for Hot Crow Eating Poop Cafe's assortment of seasonal roadkill popsicles. Did I mention all the kids and honored citizens get shiny objects just for stopping by? So join them at any of their roadside pop-up tents. Hot Crow Eating Cat Poop Cafe. Finally, something to crow up. So shiny objects. Could you be a little more specific? It depends. What's you know what's in stock? Whatever they found. What they, whatever they found. How nice Bottle you left to them. Yeah. Whether you left French fries last time. Yeah. So
1: this is for crows to two. It's almost like catering to crows. Crows like shiny objects. So it's, crows it's might be
0: catered by crows. The crows are some of the scavengers.
2: You're you realize that, that Greg could never go there because of his general fear of crows, though, right?
0: Oh, I didn't. I don't that. like crows.
2: They scare me. Right. Crowphobic. They've
0: attacked me before. <laughs> we have a section, you know, for crowphobic people. <laughs> the
1: name, though, needs a little work. I got to say,
0: it's not very appetizing, so.
2: It's mm. not appetizing? Would you prefer some better kind of dumpster to get into, Greg? To, uh... No,
1: just as long as the name's not. What, was
0: it eating cat poop? Did I hear correctly?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's they what have... the hot crow was eating, so
0: you don't have to. that's part of it that should be the health code
2: anyway our guest for today we have a very very special guest is stanley livingston who was chip douglas on the seminal sitcom my three sons the um the second longest running live live action sitcom on network television I need to apologize to our guest, Stanley Livingston, for this. <laughs>
3: that's all right. It sounds like uh, some of Uncle Charlie's cooking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let's get right into it. So the fact is, is that you've had an entire life that you've had after leaving My Three Sons. And yet that is the the stigma. I don't know if it's a stigma, if you consider it a stigma, but that's what hangs around your neck like your own personal albatross for you. legacy. After. That's a better word. Yeah. Way. Um, yeah, having been on that a show that is beloved by so many, I could probably say millions of people. So um, what do you think is your biggest claim to fame outside of having done my three sons?
3: How the West was one.
2: What was your role oh. in that? I, I saw the movie, but I saw that years ago.
3: Yeah, I was in the uh, last third of the movie. I played George Papard and Carol, Carolyn Jones' son in that. Debbie uh, Reynolds was my great aunt. And by then, she was an old lady, came out to the Wild West uh, from the East. Well, the whole movie, she was making her way across the United States and ended up, I think, in San Francisco. And then finally, wherever the heck we were. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so that movie was kind of a big deal for me. Uh, Well, it was a big deal for me career-wise (laughs) because when I was a kid, I got into the movie industry thinking I was going to be, you know, in Western movies and have a gun and a horse and live the life. Well, I never got into a Western. All my buddies did. And by the time I was, you know, probably would have been working on a lot of different uh, episodic TV, I got My Three cents, which sort of, precluded me from appearing on any other TV, uh, because of sponsorship. Uh, you know, we were had Chevrolet originally as the sponsor, and you couldn't do another TV show. They were usually uh, sponsored by something else. So those were the rules back then. And we all signed contracts that we wouldn't do that. But uh, 1963, a Western came along. Uh, my agent got a call. They were interested in seeing me. And I went in, met with the director, Henry Hathaway got hired uh, to play the part of uh, Prescott Rawlings, uh, George Carpard's son in How the West is Once. So the last third of the movie, I'm, you know, throughout the whole thing and right up to the end, we're they're riding a buckboard into the sunset at the end. You know, Stanley, I
1: wanted to say, I grew up watching my because every day. I feel like I know you, Chip. Like you- I friend. know,
3: a lot of people and have that.
1: Yeah, but like, I remember they, you had the worst haircut ever. And I gotta say, I got to say, like, as an older man, you're much handsomer than you ever. You never think Chip would grow up to be. Uh, well, Chip you know, was it depends kinda, what, year,
3: you, what year you caught me. <laughs> yeah, I was on the show all the way from the time I was nine years old to 23. So, uh, yeah, there was some pretty geeky phase, you know, going where my hair became unruly. And we also had a maniacal assistant director who insisted on combing my hair kind of uh, in this Adolf Hitler <laughs> style. Uh had yes, a comb and weird run it was a running through my hair. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah. Finally, yeah, I had to put a stop to that when I was about fifteen. But, but I just want that, you to know I that I,
1: I think you blossomed. You you were yeah. a little goony looking when you were a teenager. Right. I never imagined you'd be such a yeah. handsome man. You're the silver fox. Look at you. Well towards the <laughs> you're end looking of the man.
3: Towards the but, end of the where show. You I'm not hitting yeah, well, on him. I'm just saying. Okay. So. Just, it's like I he's mean, got he's, some uh,
2: kind of a crush or something. Is well, he's
3: way better looking we're, we're, than I We're going to go out to a dumpster after the show, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll go dumpster diver together. Can, That'll be our first date. Mm-hmm. I could call the crows and have
3: it delivered if you prefer. <laughs>
0: it.
3: That, that sounds like a musical group, the Crows. Like, Maybe they can sing in the background for us. So I, think they're I grew coming. up in
1: New York, Stanley. And so this. I think this uh, Channel 5 showed them. I can't remember which one. But yeah. I don't think they ever showed the Mike episodes, which I just was
3: researching. Well, they I didn't, didn't know. for a while. Uh, you had that lost Mike, brother, Mike, who just disappeared. Well, yeah, he was on the show for the first four years. And yeah. then he did one episode the fifth year. And so from the fifth year of the show literally for seven more years he wasn't in it and when they started syndicating it in 1972 12 years later they only ran the color episodes so that went for 15 more years so the mike episodes uh didn't start showing again until 1985
2: now what people- caused uh, what caused that actor to be written out of the show was there like a
3: uh, he, a he caused it or... himself no yeah. well a little bit of a dispute he directed an episode in the fourth season for which he did a you know great job i mean he literally could have directed the show but the way we shot we shot in different episodes every day sometimes four or five episodes and they kind of bent the rule and we put one whole show together so he could shoot it out another from start to finish then we went back to shooting you know couple scenes in this show a couple scenes in that show sometimes we worked in up to five six different shows per day so you had to have the same director and they didn't want Tim to be the director for the entire series they wanted a more seasoned veteran to do that and so when the fifth year came about he said yeah I understand that but this year instead of directing one I want to direct five at least let me do that and they said no and he said okay then I'm out of here and uh they paid him a, a good sum of money to come back for one episode to explain how he departed from the show he got married to his girlfriend and they moved off uh into the twilight zone and we never heard from him again
2: wow did you maintain was... a relationship with him over the years
3: i did yeah i was really close with him even though he was gone off the show he wasn't out of my life uh, he'd come pick barry my brother barry livingston played Ernie and i up on the weekends occasionally and you know we'd go places or he was always involved with cars automobiles auto events racing or we go to his mom's house uh and go swimming there she had a huge pool in beverly hills yeah, PD also mentioned She's that he liked race
1: car driving and that
3: that's that
1: yeah the, well the they producers had producers were like you can't race car drive because we want to no, pay the insurance no, for your seat you know,
3: they, they, they had an edict for him no race car driving during shooting season but she wasn't Infra- real happy about and uh but agreed to it and yeah after the show was over he uh that's what he did he would race cars he was also a professional photographer and lately uh, he just passed away about a year ago but for the gosh probably 10 years preceding that Tim and I and a bunch of other child former child stars we would go the Indy 500 every year and uh, that was kind of fun but like Tony Dow and Uh, I'm trying to think, Uh, Billy Gray, uh, John Provost from Lassie, uh, we all kind of hung out together with that. And Tim uh, was also an author, and he wrote the quintessential book on racing at Le Mans. It's a, I think it's a four-part series, and each book is, yeah, it's one of those huge cocktail table books, but it's over 300 pages and it has all the stories behind every year of racing at lamar
2: was there like a child star club that you guys jo- had like created or did because well, i would imagine that you're the one to like share stories or experiences in some way as you were like growing up in this environment and shared
3: lawyers probably too. Maybe, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, there was probably something like that i i wasn't i'm not a big guy for clubs or events i'm I figure any club that wanted to have me as a member, uh, I probably wouldn't want to belong to. So yeah, they're, they're, you know, a lot of these guys, when I grew up, they I found out they all went to Hollywood professional school in lieu of going to public school like I did. Uh, and, you know, they were probably a little bit tighter. You know, after My Three Sons ended, it seemed like we were sort of amenable about getting together and sharing war stories and horror stories. And, you know, by then some of these for child stars, you know, I, I didn't have personally have that sort of experience, but apparently they had a rough go of it. You know, when their shows ended, and they no longer could find work. And some of them you know, had a lot of either mental problems or drug problems and that exacerbated that situation. You know, I saw the writing on the wall when I was about 16, 17. I'm going, you know what, this acting thing, I've been doing it since I was five years old. I don't even know if I want to do this my whole life. I was more interested in production and the last four or five years of the show, I tried to learn everything I could, you know, about cameras, editing, lenses, production boards, how how you schedule things. And I started a production company when I was 12 years old and I mean, when I was 20 years old. And that I was going to say, that's that amazing. <laughs> a yeah, I probably, at 12. <laughs> well, I probably could have. I mean, I was pretty versed in shooting things and editing and, you know, knew all the shots were needed to put something together. But, uh, you know, to do it professionally, yeah, you got to be of a certain age. And I had a partner, and, you know, we go out there and shoot commercials, industrials, music videos, whatever came along. You just go shoot it and, you know, make some money and uh, you get better and better as you do it. Now, I was digging surprised. through your
2: website, and I saw that you have your, you have a a very strong artistic ability. You like make a lot of paintings and port. I don't know if you make portraits. Yeah, not, I think
3: uh, yeah. A- went to my But how long were you, site.
2: did you do that? Right after leaving my three Thuns? you started getting into artwork, or when did well, that come along?
3: Okay, the artwork came along probably earlier in my life. Probably when I was about fourteen. Uh, I well, to be honest, I, I was always a drawer, painter my whole life. But I started to get, you know, train myself in that primarily because I was on a set 10 hours a day and there's not a hell of a lot you can do uh, that is quiet. You know, uh, when I was about 16, I also had a guitar. And so I got banished off the set onto another sound stage that was soundproof. Yes, Stanley, but, yeah, throughout my no drums, life, Stanley. No drums. No drums at <laughs> all. Well, the electric guitar was bad enough. That's bad enough. Andy, right? but, Come over and say, "Hey, can you turn that?" We can still hear you, even though this is soundproof. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, between music and painting, uh, I learned how to paint. I learned how to draw. You know, probably you name it—whether it's uh, pen and ink, pencil, charcoal, acrylic, oil, watercolor—you know, I did it. And I amassed, you know, from the time I was probably about fifteen to about thirty. I, I don't know how many paintings I did. But i always took a picture of them because i'd give them away or i actually occasionally when i got to be older i had people buy them so they had the original but i had a good high-res quality picture of whatever i did and the website i have uh, well it's kind of similar to the one that's my fans at my my fan site stanleylivingston.com but if you add the word art stanleylivingstonart.com that takes you to what i call my fine art gallery a lot of those paintings are the ones that I did over the years. And, you know, people order them and, you know, they get a signed, uh, numbered, limited edition.
2: Yeah, some of Just, them are quite stunning. I was very nice. appreciative of a lot of, a lot of Stanley, work I was there. also
1: interested in um, how uh, it, I, I never knew William Frawley was on the early years of the show. Could you tell yeah. us
3: about William Frawley? Well, you're too young to know that. <laughs> That's well, long. yeah, I only saw Every, Well, I know he was
2: on, but he's well, not that much I, younger I, than me.
3: No, but again, if no. you were you know young enough to watch my first son say in nineteen sixty, Bill Frawley, you only saw him for the first four years because he passed away. And then again, they never ran those. They never ran them. Like you know, we just kept going from season five to season twelve. It went on daytime syndication for about fifteen years, but they would only show the color shows. William Frawley was only in the black and whites. And it literally wasn't until Nickelodeon or Nick at Night came along in 1985 that they decided to take these old black-white episodes and start showing them again. And then people realized, oh, my God, Bill Frawley was on the show. I did not what know What was that. he like? Do you have any uh, stories about uh, him? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he, he was a great guy. And pretty much like you saw him on Mighty Sons, except <laughs> on the show, there was not four-letter words. <laughs> there was plenty of four-letter words to Bill. You know, when you're working with him, back there, when the camera wasn't rolling, it was a lot of four-letter words. He was pretty profane, but absolutely hysterical, and the stories he would tell. and he, He's just kind of a goofy, curmudgeonly old guy, you know. But, we, yeah, we took a shine to each other. I didn't know either of my grandfathers when I grew up, and I kind of set out and made a mission for him to become my surrogate grandfather, And I did, and yeah, we hung out a lot, especially on the set. I'd go back to his, you know, dressing room and play cards. You know, he wasn't exactly into rules and regulations, so occasionally he'd start smoking a cigar and light one up for me. Or we go to lunch and he'd always order a drink for me. I'm only like twelve, but and I had a guardian (laughs) there and I'd look over when my drink came and she'd be like that to me. Don't you dare. And um Yeah, Bill and I, we went to ball games. Uh, you know, a rare occasion. I went over to his apartment, just hung out. But yeah, he was uh, a nice guy. When I was, I think I was about 14, I was into surfing. And for my, I think it was my 14th birthday, I came back to the dressing room after lunch and opened the door to the dressing room. And there was a nine foot long Dewey Weber surfboard there from Uncle Bill. So he made my day and yeah, and then immediately about, couple months later I don't know why the studio didn't catch that immediately uh, for me surfing got manned. so um, yeah we ended up that surfboard ended up in our swimming pool till it hit (laughs) the the nose of it hit the side of the pool so
2: so um, Tim wasn't allowed to do race car driving and you weren't allowed to surf
3: it, it really got to be ridiculous at one point. I couldn't surf and you know, I, you know, I can understand it. Uh, we actually had a guy that was the assistant cameraman that was into surfing and you know, he and I were kind of the two cool guys that had surfer gear when we weren't working. He went surfing, got his two front teeth knocked out. No, oh. And uh, yeah, after that, they banned me <laughs> from doing, they ban him. Cause, he didn't have to appear on camera. But he was behind so, the camera. Who cares? Right, right. Who cares if you have teeth or not? But yeah, he, um, they ended up banning baseball because we play baseball on the street in between our soundstage because I hit a baseball and it went right through Gary Morton's window. Gary Morton was Lucille Ball's husband who was running the studio. So oh. yeah, so that didn't work out too well um what wow, else that's well, that's, a, that's a
0: whole episode right there the the, the time that stanley broke the the, the studio guy's
3: <laughs> car with yeah, the head of the studio yeah that the that mean that, old man well, broke back that we had we'd ride bikes we all had bikes on the set not only us but the crew guys too but the actors sometimes we get into these things where you play tag on a bike where you're You would ram the other guy's bike from behind or from the back, from behind, and try to knock it out from underneath them. And Somebody got hurt, so bicycles got banned. Then we got skateboards, and that lasted about six months. We used to skateboard with the two kids that were on the Lucy show, which was right next door to us with Lucille Ball, Vivian Vance, and the two kids were Ralph Hart and Jimmy Garrett. So they were our age, so... But I can't remember. So this was that. been a later I,
2: Lucy show than when William Frawley was on. Yeah,
3: well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Frawley was on I Love Lucy. And yeah. then later in the early 60s, she came back with the Lucy show, which was. Where well, she the worked at that department thing. store with that weird boss. Yeah, right, right, right. So anyway, uh, I think it was Ralph Hart. He, there was a studio that had a ramp going up to it. Somebody went down it, fell, and broke their leg. So. Uh, needless to say, uh, skateboards were banished also. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> it sounds like a curse being uh, a TV it, star. It was. In fact, we, we have a very funny picture. I should put it up on the internet at some point because we were trying to make a point. We, we waited. We knew the boss was coming down. And it just happened that Fred like Fred McMurray was looking at what we were doing, and we were waiting you know, for the producer to come over. So we were sitting there, and it's Barry, myself, and Fred McMurray sitting there knitting socks
2: because that's all you're allowed to do that was about
3: all we're allowed to do you know you you bring up fred mcmurray
2: now fred mcmurray is a hollywood legend even before my three sons and i mean being in that company of him and william frawley and william demarest later on as well and um all the various different guest stars who must have come through what was that like were you ever starstruck by anybody who came on the set or was there somebody who when they were on, you never expected them to become a huge star that they later became. Because I know that Jodie Foster and Harrison Ford kind of came through the doors of my three sons in some way. And...
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If you check on that website, I actually put together what I call a you know, special guest list. And it was all the people who were previously big movie stars: Gloria Swanson, Sylvia Sidney, Lou Ayers. I mean, just you know, Andy Devine, tons of people. And, you know, their their careers were kind of, you know, starting to fade a little bit. And, you know, they still wanted to work. So, you know, they most of those people would have never done TV. It was because Fred McMurray was the star of it that it made it okay for them to come on. They wanted to work with Fred, and the show was highly rated, so they did. And on the other side of the coin, there were people that were just starting out their careers who were yet to become something uh, I think you mentioned Jody Foster. I think Harrison Ford was just an extra. I'm not even sure he was credited, but he's fully visible in one of the episodes. Um, but Bo Bridges, Sally Kellerman, Martin Sheen. There, there's another one that I, probably my favorite out of all the people that ended up having a, a pretty big career on the show. Fred McMurray's character was an aeronautical engineer, and a lot of the episodes had scenes of him at work. And they'd always have an establishing shot of look like an aeronautical factory and then it would cut inside to the offices and he'd be at his drafting board, you know, designing some airplane. And uh, anyway, there was a, an episode where there was a flashback and Fred was remembering when he had this boss, I think that was yelling at him and, you know, just uh, on his case. And when they did the flashback scene, uh, the guy who was supposed to be Fred when he was, you know, in his 20s, is Tom
2: Skerritt? <laughs> so Tom Skerritt was Fred McMurray as a as a, a youth. As he as a, <laughs> a,
3: yeah, well not as a youth but as a young man, a young aeronautical engineer.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: wow, I heard that
1: Fred McMurray, Fred sorry Fred McMurray had so much clout that he would some seasons just like record all of his scenes.
3: No, like it a, wasn't quite no, small... like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't quite like that. What it was, his contract was that he would work for about three months straight and when he worked he he really did work he was in every single shot meaning sometimes we would shoot a scene and we'd shoot the master and his close-up and then we'd move on and we'd come back to get our close up. sometimes three months four months later and so that went on for three months he would leave for the summer and spend three months with his family and come back at the end for two months and whatever shows they hadn't shot with him they'd start shooting those or scenes that we were working on that he would come in through the front door and say hi boys i'm home um you know we'd pick him up with him walking through the door so yeah he you know the whole thing was designed around him to allow him to go home at you know no later than five or six o'clock at night he had adopted twins and uh you know he just didn't want to see his kids not grow up to go do a movie. And sometimes you're in another state or another country for, you know, it could be three months, could be six months. So doing that, you know, by the time you get home, your kids are in college. So, you so get you'd get have to do acting night. scenes where you weren't even reacting to it or just be like, look over yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. We had a uh, uh, the script supervisor. They had an apple box for her to stand on. So we'd get the eye line correctly. You know. <laughs> And uh, yeah, she'd stand on that. So she looked like she was about six foot four, and we would do our lines with her. And yeah, later when Fred came back, they'd shoot his half of it and cut it together. And, you know, it, nobody knew the difference. So she it's was like, like, like a, human,
2: she was a human green screen, is what she was. She was.
3: <laughs> was well, yeah. That. Sometimes when she wasn't around, they would just <laughs> hold a mop up and say, that's your eye line. Look at the head of the mop. You were actually do Very, very good.
2: It. Wasn't the mop actually the, the mop. mother on My Three Sons?
3: Well, that was actually Cousin It before oh. he got a job on The <laughs> Adams Family. <laughs> he, also came, he
0: also came through uh, Cousin It. That's interesting.
3: Yeah, he came through <laughs> as, as the, uh, as the, the, the line reader. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Charlie was
1: the surrogate mother. They even make jokes about. I remember the jokes about. Like he was so weird. he was just like, I'm the
3: mom.
2: Well, yeah. William William Frawley was the very, surrogate mother before yeah. Uncle Charlie too, though.
3: Yeah, well, that, that's how the very first episode, the pilot episode, literally starts that way. It's how they introduce this character. A guy rings the doorbell, and it's obviously a Fuller Brush man, and. You know, Bill Prally answers the Can I help you? And he's like, uh, "Well, I'm here selling." He goes, "You don't? Where's the lady of the house?" And he starts laughing, going, uh, "I'm the closest thing to a lady around here." Is what he <laughs> said, so, yeah. you
2: know,
3: there's You're a. I have a goal. weird
2: connection to William Prally. It's not a major connection; it's very, very tenuous. But uh-huh. the fact is, is that he died two days before I was born. Oh wow! You know, and yeah, the other weird, uh, the other was, weird coincidence is that he also died on the same day as Tim Considine did. They both died on March third. Although, yeah, I'd,
3: I'd heard that recently. Yeah, I didn't didn't realize that. Yeah, I was yeah. a big shock when he went, even though we kind of knew where he was going. I was just, you know, probably fourteen years old, so it kind of really hit me hard. You know, just and then yeah, Bill Bill Demers came on the show, and I kind of resented him at first. You know, you took my buddy's job. You know, and then. We, I kind of warmed up to him after a while, but at first it was, you know, I don't know. It, it took a while.
1: Did you develop a grandfatherly or grandson-like relationship with him over the years? Yeah,
3: yeah, I did. Yeah, he was a nice guy. It's just, you know, when you're young and you're a teenager and you, you have friends, you don't want somebody taking their place. Yeah. You know, the you show know, my had grandfather... gone, so they, they had to get somebody. Yeah, well, they had another guy in there. I forget that guy's name. He was um Barney Miller. Was it Curly Joe from uh, my? (laughs) No, no, it was. uh, Was it Eve Vagoda? I can't think of the guy's name. No, no, no. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he came in for a couple episodes. And he was really good, too, but a different kind of guy. But he was. "Ah, I rolled surly like that. Everything came out of his mouth. And they were just waiting for Bill Demers to finish something he was working on. And then he finally, you know, came and stepped up to the plate and stayed there for the other, whatever it was, eight years. So. Now moving out of my three
2: young. sons, you were um, in a movie that was uh, the first movie directed by Paul Bartel. And I know that Greg is mm-hmm. like, followed that guy's career. And it was like called uh, Private Parts. I think it was what it was called.
3: Yeah. 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 It was called Private Parts, much to my dismay. <laughs> I <It> was like, <laughs> I remember when I got the script and my agent said, me. he said, the director wants to meet you. Why don't you take a look at the script? And, you know, want he wants you to come over to his house tomorrow and go out to dinner with him. They want you for this part. And I'm like, what, what is this like? Is it a porno movie? You know, he's like, oh, no, no, it's a horror film, you know, kind of, it actually after I read it, I was like, well, wow, this- kind of like a Hitchcock film, really. And uh, the way it was shot and the way it came out, it actually was like a Hitchcock film. And once I got to know Paul, I think Paul envisioned himself as Alfred Hitchcock kind of guy. It was a little bit weird. Uh, But anyway, yeah, when I went over, he said, well, we're probably not going to be calling it uh, private parts. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. He says, yeah, I think we're thinking about using uh, vital parts. (laughs) I go, well, that's worse. (laughs) And... uh, Anyway, I found out that the original script was called Blood Relations, and I thought that was the best of the three titles, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to go back to that, and it became Private Parts, and I said, well, I don't know. I said, you know, the problem is going to be not making the movie, but you want to get it in theaters. How's that that going to go with the advertising with a name like that? You're going to end up in the porno section of the paper, because back in those days, uh, newspapers, had two different sections. One was black ink. And if you had a, a porno film, excuse me, uh, they would gray it out and you'd be on that page. And sure enough, because that title, they put um, they put private parts into that grayed area and it kind of hurt
2: the, you know. Is that a worse title than Smokey and the Hotwire Gang, though? <laughs>
3: Well, Smokey and the Hotwire Gang was, again, not called Smokey and the Hotwire Gang when I got involved. It was called Hotwire, which I thought was a cool title, because that's what it was. These guys, Hotwire and steal Cars. And then the producer had this brilliant idea at the end, and he said, well, there's all these Smokey movies out, you know, the ones with the CB radios and Smokey and the Bandit. And then there was also gang movies out then, The Warriors Boulevard Nights, and I I can't even think of all of them, but there were quite a few. So he got the brilliant idea of combining the best of that, calling it Smokey and the Hotwire Gang, (laughs) which, I mean, not that the movie didn't deserve to be condemned there, but it actually ended up playing, I think, strictly as a double bill in drive-in theaters, which was kind of cool back then. I was okay with that because, you know, most of those CB movies, that's where they play it anyway. So I kind of looked at that as like a badge of honor that I had a movie that was destined. I oh, want to get fascinated. back to the
0: part where they were with. I, I want to get back to the part where they advertised
3: pornography in the newspaper. What is they did. It? I oh, remember yeah, this. I yeah. remember this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the, New York, you know, they did. Deep, deep throat and uh, behind the green door. There was a, yeah, a bunch of movies. There, there was ones that were kind of more lascivious titles, I guess you would say. Huh. But, you know, it was mainly to tell you where it, which theater was playing in and, right. the, you know, start time. But how you could distinguish it was it was printed in, a, it's like a gray ink. It wasn't in full black. So you would, you huh. know, you didn't want to go see behind the green door and think, oh, wow, I'm going to see the new Julie Andrews movie. <laughs> <laughs> so then Bring really the kids. It private out to be Marilyn Chambers or something. Right.
0: Really bad name then, for sure. It was. I, I was surprised they didn't have
3: the business savvy to see that because, you know, at that point, well, I mean, I, I guess I was getting my feet wet as a producer and director then. And that name just seemed like a bad choice to me if you wanted to get in theaters. And, and you yeah, know, the ridiculous part of it was it was actually, I think, a pretty good movie. It was really stylishly shot. Uh, in fact, the guy who was the DP on it, John Davis, um, he went on to become like a huge director you know directing a lot of that steven Seagal action movies and uh kevin costner film i mean he went on uh, yeah yeah he just went on became a huge director so the movie looked incredible and it the only thing it had that was kind of strange for the times but you know it was a little ahead of its time that movies that had any kind of explicit gore in them you know before that there was always a cutaway when it would happen you know like somebody gonna lop your head off as soon as the knife would hit they cut to a subway or with a screaming fire engine going by or something like that so uh, this movie actually showed a beheading in the beginning some girls walking down the hall and then the bad guy or bad person steps out of the shadows and whack you know a machete Swings around, you see this head rolling down the hallway. Ooh. Well, I, see I never this. saw anything like that in a movie back then. This is like 1974. Uh, so yeah, that was quite shocking. In fact, I remember I brought my whole family to see it, including a couple four-year-old kids.
4: Kids, some
3: ball sunk into the, to the seat, and you know didn't realize how they were going to shoot the end stuff too. Or that's kind of where that kinky weird. Part of uh, the movie comes out. But, if but you don't know, me get back back to get was like, who
1: done it? If you don't want me to get back to my three sons, I was always curious because even as a kid, I realized Ernie was your real life brother. I remember seeing the credits. What was that like working with your brother? Did you guys fight a lot?
3: Well, I didn't know it was my brother until he showed up on the set. <laughs> 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 no, it wasn't weird. We actually had worked together twice before that. Barry and I did a film in 1957. Uh, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward called Rally Round the Flag Boys. And we played his sons. And uh, I went on the interview and auditioned, and they told me to wait in the outer office. And I did. And my mom was there. And my little brother, Barry, because she didn't have a babysitter. And the casting person came out and said, you, you've got the part. And then they went, oh, well, who is this little kid here? And my mom said, well, that's Stan's brother, Barry. And they go, well, we're looking for another little kid. He'd be perfect. I, does he act? And my mom went, yeah. And uh, so they hired him. Well, the first day we started shooting, uh, we were supposed to be watching a TV set when Paul Newman comes through the door behind us, walks up to us and, hey, boys, how you doing everything? And our directorial task was just to completely ignore him, just stare at the TV set like he isn't there don't acknowledge him at all so we shot Mm -hmm. it once or twice the director came up to my brother and said hey you're you're not looking at the tv set i need you to look right at that tv set and nowhere else so we did it again and came back up to my brother anyway about two or three times of that they sent during the lunch break sent my brother to an ophthalmologist turned out my brother had a crossed eye so it was never going to look like he was looking at the tv set and by one o'clock they had fired him and i had a brand new brother (laughs) <laughs>
2: and, oh, no. uh, so he yeah, was kicked he, out of the house he that kid sh- replaced his brother at home too right
3: right we, a lawsuit. Yeah, basically like my mom my said so we got to get a new little kid this one's not going to make it show best. well I, it actually turned out to be a blessing because almost all the little kids back then kind of, kind of look like me and yeah, that blonde hair cute little kids my brother looked, you know he looked kind of a little bit goofy uh he had you know kind of a mr moto haircut and buck teeth uh And uh, once he got the glasses, it kind of solidified his career. And he went from, you know, working, but actually working a lot because he looked like a little Einstein or something. And he'd get all these parts where, you know, he'd have tons of dialogue and Barry was a good actor. We actually worked together again before My Two Sons. uh, How I became an actor was I got hired as an extra on Ozzy and Harriet. And in the course of shooting the episode, I was hired to be an extra. And Ozzy came up to me and asked me if I could say this line. And he said, "Look, when you get right here, I'm going to put a piece of tape on the floor. Just pause there, look right at me, say this line, then turn and go as soon as you're done." So, we rehearsed it a couple times. I did it, and he moved the camera in closer. I got a close up, and yeah, you know, he went up to my mom at the end of the day and said, "Leave your, uh, you know, contact information with my secretary in the front office. I want to have Stanley back." So. That was music to my mom's ear. And anyway, uh, so from about 1957 till 1960, when I started My Three Sons, I was doing you know, three or four episodes of Ozzie and Harriet every year it's a neighborhood kid. And the very last one I did, yeah, they were aware of Barry So again, he'd come down with the set because my mom didn't have a babysitter occasionally. So they knew he was, he was there. and found a little part for him and they actually called him my brother on Ozzie and Harriet. He had a scene uh, where Ozzy's selling, he ordered t-shirts and they come back misprinted. So he's trying to pawn them off on all these kids and gives us some and yeah, you know, we're not interested but we're sitting at his table eating ice cream. Anyway, one of the kids eating the ice cream and he had a couple lines was Barry. And when I left the show a couple shows later, uh, cause I couldn't do Ozzy and Herod anymore because of my two sons. They continued to have Barry on as like the regular neighborhood kid. So he kind of picked up where I left off And for the next three, four years. You know, he did three or four Aussie and Harriet's per year. And then he started working as Ernie, the friend on the show. And then finally Ernie gets adopted by the Douglas family and becomes a brother.
2: I have a question about that. So how was it that he was able to get adopted if he was your friend on the show? Like that something happened to his parents he moved point. to the orient
3: or something i favor no, it
2: doesn't know it
3: doesn't work like that that's called nepotism <laughs>
2: <laughs> but i mean in the storyline yeah, story how did they yeah, explain no, they, how you suddenly they, became your friend became your adopted brother
3: yeah no they explained it very well i thought it you know you never heard mention of it before you never saw his parents before he would just always hang out in our house and frankly i was kind of like I thought that was strange too because we were in class together. He was like, you know, a school chum. And he'd be in the same classroom as me. Well, they never mentioned uh, that he was like three years younger and about two heads shorter than me. <laughs> so yeah. either he was very smart or I was very stupid. I don't know which <laughs> one. But back. how how they explained it was that the year when Tim left, they had to come up with a son in a hurry because the show was called My Three Sons. And we were now down to two sons. Uh, that he was a foster kid. And his parents were going to move out of the country and they weren't allowed to take a foster child with them out of the country. So they had to put it back up for either fostering again or adoption by somebody else. And the Douglas family steps up to the plate when they find out what's going on. And you know, there was about four or five episodes written around that whole scenario of Ernie being uh, you know, a foster child and going to be in a bad situation. And we all decided uh, to adopt them. They had a social worker, which was uh, Vera Miles, by the way, and, uh, you know, I and mean, she still looked good. So there was kind of this little added love interest thing going on with Fred McMurray and Vera Miles. Uh, and then finally, by the end of that the fifth episode, we adopted him, the judge, we had a scene in the courtroom where the judge says, these are your new parents and come home and you know, Barry uh, makes everybody cry. He goes, Mr. Douglas, is, is it okay if I just call you dad? And, you know, Steve, of course, says yes yes sir and you could just call me dad yeah believe just that. just made great the, cry the, they say <laughs> it in
1: the description of that episode i actually just read that where the the judge was like normally if there's not a mother figure we don't do this but uncle charlie proved that he yes. a mother figure
3: and they're like yeah. Please you're the mom once again yeah. yeah well that was you know what my Three Sons was really all about it. I mean, it was kind of an anomaly for that era. I mean, if you watch the shows that preceded it, Father Knows Best, uh, Donna Reed show, you know, they were all the nuclear family, the mom, the dad, you know, two sisters and a brother or two brothers and a sister, and that's what they consisted of. Yeah, My Three Sons was very unorthodox and maybe a little ahead of its time, you know, to present a family that didn't have that. And, you know, it was kind of well, the pathos was there and then just the the heart tug that there wasn't a woman involved in the upbringing of these kids but uh you know they brought the grandfather in who kind of picked up the slack with those chores uh originally my three sons wasn't even going to be my three sons it was going to be my three daughters oh. that's how the producer was going to sell that don fetterson um, and the show was really written, uh, I, I'm sure you guys didn't watch that and I didn't like the show either, but my parents, said it was called the Lawrence Welk show. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. I it's a show like completely hated by all little kids from that era. <laughs> well, we <laughs> once had that. a guest
2: on our show whose father was one of the horn players on the Lawrence Welk show.
3: Yeah, the horn so, players uh, are Bobby Burgess from the Mouseketeers, and I forgot who the female dancer were, but they were the main dancers on the show, but anyway, uh, the McGuire sisters were on that show, there were three of them, and he wrote the, the pilot episode for them, and uh, so there was going to be, it was going to be called My Three Daughters, and uh, instead of Steve Douglas, I don't remember what the character's name was, but it was to be played by Eddie Albert. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, McGuire sisters didn't want to leave Lawrence Welk, and um, they ended up having to revamp the whole show. And it came to Don Feddersen's attention somehow that Fred McMurray was open to possibly doing a TV project if we could work out the details. And getting Fred McMurray to do a show would be like getting, like right now, Tom Cruise to do a TV show playing the dad. You know, back then it was huge. Huge, 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 huge to get a movie star of that caliber, you know, to do a TV show and do the daily grind of a TV series. What uh, was you know, like
1: had, and, uh, Fred McMurray Was he, was he just such the most a kind face. face? Was he as nice he, as he seemed?
3: Yes, yes, the kindest guy I ever met. Very low key. and twelve years of working with Fred, and we had our fair share of problems that we had to, you know, fix on the set. I never saw him blow a gasket. I never saw him scream. I never saw him have a, you know, meltdown. You know, it's just a very soft-spoken, congenial guy that, you know, a uh, hardworking guy. And he was, you know what? He was really just like an, your average Joe that happened to become a major movie star. Because in, in 1959, when this all kind of got created, he was at the top of his profession. He was the highest paid uh, actor in Hollywood at that time. He had just come off of the cane mutiny. He just did the apartment. He just did the shaggy dog. He just did the absent-minded professor. And then segued into this uh, TV show. Wow. And uh, that opened the door for a lot of actors who would have never considered, you know, doing a TV show. Later, my boss got Henry Fonda to do the Smith family and, uh, you know, a few other guys. Uh, uh, Brian Keith, the family affair. Uh, John Was- Forsyth, Ted to Rome with Love. Was it confusing for you? Like, did you feel like you had two dads? Like, you No, you- no, no. By the time my three sons had rolled along, I... I- probably done about six seven movies i'd probably done about 25 tv shows so i knew the ropes you know even though i was nine or ten i was savvy as to what the business was all about i wasn't delusioned by the other thing too is you know the schooling for us that 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 was the only thing that was different for me and and i credit my parents for that and I credit that for me not being as messed up as I probably could have been. But most of the kids were on TV shows went to a private school called Hollywood Professional School, and they would go there three hours a day to get their education. But the problem with it, and I think that's what my parents saw, was that you're just hanging out with other of your own health, you know, child actors, and already you're being treated special because you're only going to three hours of school a day. My parents put us in public school and Although it was living hell, it's, you know, at the beginning of the year, every year, we'd have to go back uh, in February to public school, February, March, April, usually about three months. But, you know, you're in with just regular kids are just totally astounded seeing, you know, like a TV star at their school. You have to remember back then when when we were doing My Two Sons and I'd go back to school, if you were a top rated show like we were, you had 60 million people a week watching you. Because there was only three networks you know it's abc cbs nbc so i couldn't go anywhere when i was a kid without you know people surrounding me you know it, it, i mean it was probably a, just a small dose of what the beatles got but it was just you know it was crazy so when mm-hmm. i go back to public school i either had people that loved me or I'd be in fights all the time because they didn't. They were jealous and, you know, <laughs> I had to save the well, honor of my three sons. So. so did the, the, did the people at
2: did. the show like prevent you from getting in fights you know, at what? the school because you might get a black eye? Well, you Fighting can't at school
3: not well, canceled. Once I was in public school, I was on my own, man. Nobody came to my defense.
2: <laughs> I want to like, like get that, out of that,
3: I, I want to get out of the My three, three Sons girls.
2: realm because I have a question about something, a project you just did this past year. Which is antiquities, the Star Wars Galactic Cruiser story. So, yeah, that, uh, that I had I nothing to do with
3: the production. <laughs> yeah, there's some guys. How I met them is I produced a uh, a Cinerama film back in 2012, an actual three strip, 35 millimeter, you know, three camera yeah. uh, film called In the Picture. And we made it to showcase, the. Uh, there was a Cinerama Film Festival coming up at the Light that year. So the guy that approached me with it, uh, they were in the process of trying to restore a Cinorama camera. And it was to be the first Cinerama production in 50 years. Well, it also turned out I was in the last Cinerama production 50 years ago, which was how the West is one. So I kind of had Whoa. a little bit there. And I was also <laughs> in it. Yeah, so um, there were some guys that approached us uh, just before we started shooting and said, hey, you know, would you guys mind if we did a documentary about you guys making a Cinerama film? Like we, you know, like, it sounds incredible. So they were there the whole time. They did this incredible uh, documentary called The Last Days of Cinerama, and it showed the whole process about how we worked with this camera that's about the size of an old-time phone booth. I mean, it... <laughs> ridiculous the batteries alone were like 300 pounds just to run the thing and uh, yeah so it was great so years later you know we stayed in contact but they contacted me uh, I think it was February and March and said hey we're doing this thing and you know we're just wondering if you would do an acting part in it and I said well I really don't do acting anymore I don't look for it or anything he said but you'd be really right so could we just send you the script and I went all right yeah so send me the script and maybe and so I looked at it and I thought, well, you know what? Those guys were so cool. They, they did such a good job. I thought I should do it in either case. So I called them back and said, yes. And then as soon as I hung up, I turned to my wife and I said, oh, I don't know what I just did. I just agreed to be an actor in a film. How the hell am I going to remember all these lines? There's like eight pages of dialogue here. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. So fortunately, it was about two months off. So I had ample time. To uh, you know, quell my fears about not being able to remember. It. I don't it's know what Star I did Wars, yesterday. It's a yeah. Star
1: Wars project. You're gonna get royalties for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I People are gonna watch that forever.
2: Yeah, yeah but this isn't a, a like a high, high production value Star Wars. I know, but
3: it's Star anymore. Wars. No. Though.
2: <laughs> that's, that's all that matters.
3: Yeah, they've got some some effects in it, but you know, it definitely isn't a George Lucas production. It's not the. Uh, you know, what they were doing with the Star Wars films, that's for
2: sure. But yeah, it was somehow they like, were able to get
3: permission I, to do it. And...
2: I watched, the, I think, the first five-minute episode that they had, and it was interesting seeing a lot of it taking place on somebody's cell phone is what they were, was one of the major mm-hmm. props. I'm like, okay, this this could be an interesting production. I haven't watched the rest of it yet, but I just wanted to kind of yeah, get into yeah, that and go, awesome. how did that happen? So
3: Yeah, that was <laughs> it. No, well, they approached me, and like I said, uh, the the last one, the one that I'm in, I
2: play a crusty old
3: drifter, and the guy stumbles across me, and I try to cheat him out of some money. He ends up cheating me, and at the end, I don't take it too well, and get up, and uh, well, I don't want to give a spoil alert of what he does to me, but uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm as cranky as Uncle Charlie in this. I'm so just that. That's what I'll give you. <laughs> you learned.
2: you, you learned. Tried, I learned. Cranky I learned from training. The
3: past. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah
1: so
2: are you retired now from all of showbiz or is there um <laughs> no, something new in your all. future
3: well until covid came along um two years ago i had two tv pilots ready to go one had the funding and i couldn't figure out how to shoot it without running afoul of a certain screen actors guild policies in relation to covid and i couldn't figure out there was no covid insurance And I was freaked out about, you know, what would happen because not only was I the producer and director, but I was also the manager of the LLC, which holds the company. And uh, the liability all lied with me. So it was like, gosh, if something goes wrong or somebody gets sick and there's a problem, guess who they're going to sue? Or if somebody, you know, gets sick and passes away from COVID, because that was pretty prevalent about then. Yeah, I, I'd be up the creek without a paddle because you're going to get sued. And we were pretty much doing what Screen Actors Guild was saying not to do at that time. So I gave the project to my, my two partners and said, "Here, if you guys can keep the uh, the money guy on board with you, go ahead, take me off. I'm going to take myself off the LLC and off the production. I don't want to see my name on a scrap of paper. And good luck to you." And my other project, we were just taking meetings with people about getting it funded. It it was more of a traditional sitcom where the first one was a talk show. And I started thinking about it. I'm going to have the same problem here. You know, if I luck out and get a backer, I'm going to have to say to them, uh, we may not be able to shoot this for three to six months. Well, here it is, not three to six months. It's like a year and a half later. Uh, And I just didn't think that was fair to do so. Basically, hung it up. Told my brokers to, uh, you know, move on and do something else or work on somebody else's project, and I'll get back to you when I'm ready. So, I'm hoping after the beginning of the year, that's far enough out that most of the liability issues could be resolved. And see how prevalent COVID is at that point. And at that point, uh, I've got a great little sitcom, and uh, I'll push on with that one.
2: That well, sounds like you've definitely got your your work still ahead of you. Maybe your oh, best yeah. work still ahead of you. Yeah. So, one final yeah. three is my three and sons question because we've already gone like a half an hour over where we oh, no, really? would normally like get into our cooking <laughs> segment. So, is there anybody that you were shocked to find out was starstruck about you during the course of your life? Or like some star where you went, they were like, went gaga about who you were? How about AM. not
3: a star? How about somebody bigger than a star?
2: <laughs> Seriously. So you have the Pope?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Almost. How about a president of the United States? Oh. Ooh. yeah. Which yeah. one? I, uh, Eisenhower? Richard Nixon. Richard oh. Nixon. 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 Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back in, <laughs> believe this or not, in the early 70s, I, I was a Republican. And I got involved in some stuff right before the, the re-election. And uh, I got invited to all kinds of functions that he was at. Met him at the White House. Was introduced to him, and you know, and I could see his eyes just kind of lit up when he met me. And I'm and I'm thinking, God, that's weird, you know. But anyway, uh, he was just a really, you know, friendly guy. Turned out, you know, he knew a lot about my three sons had golfed with Frederick Murray before. But I was getting invited like almost, I I would say, about every two, three months to a function at the White House or the Western White House or other things, uh, events that he went to. And it sort of became embarrassing because, you know, you're talking about rumors like Clint Eastwood. George Hamilton, uh Charles Heston. And meanwhile, he'd see me and make a beeline for me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's gotta be surreal. That Richard Nixon's coming after you. Did you ever get I to never, put a name of your own on his enemies list?
3: Uh no, but I have a lot of memorabilia here from celebrities for the president. Well, I got out of that pretty early too when the Watergate and stuff went down, that's it for me. But he was just a genuinely in person, nice, friendly guy. And like I said, I'd get go to parties and he'd see me and make a beeline for me and put his arm around my shoulder and we'd go walking off talking about you know three percent and he must have watched the episodes because he could clearly talk about the episodes which i thought wow maybe he's not really presidential he was like what's, what's up there? with mike he's like watching all day right right i know and uh the funniest part is when he peeled me out i remember i turned around to my my wife then, a different wife, but you know, i turn on, and i go, like that, you know, It's like, and then I'd look and I'd see, you know, people like Clint Eastwood go, who the hell is that little guy? You know, why is the president taking him aside, talking to him? We'd be over there for like 10, 15 minutes, you know, talking about the show with Fred and Fred McMurray and it, it was, you know, I mean, it was flattering, but it was also just I thought surrealistic. I mean, how I got involved in the political thing was surrealistic enough because I, I kind of I was not really a Republican or Democrat. My family was Democrat. I was taking a high school, I mean, a high school college course and a political science class. And part of it was that if you were Republican, you had to work for the Democrats. There was like local elections going on, or vice versa. If you're Republican or Democrat, you'd work for the Republican. So somehow I ended up at the Republican office. some guy there recognized me and came up to me, introduced himself. And he said, so would you be interested in be, being part of this thing we're creating called Celebrities for the President'?" I go, no, I'm not really apolitical. I don't want to be involved. And uh, so I kind of declined it. But you know, I left my contact information with this guy. Someone remembers his name. It was Alan Hoffenblum. I think he was the head of the 38th District in LA. So about a month, it was a month or two months later, I got a call. And on the phone, it goes, uh, we have a call from you, uh, from Governor Reagan. And I'm like, you must have a wrong number. And i like, hung up. I was like, what? Somebody just called. I go, it's probably a friend of mine pulling a prank. So immediately the phone rang again. And it said, excuse me, this is a call from Governor Reagan's office. Please do not hang up. Uh, Governor Reagan would like to speak to you. And I'm like, are you sh-? You know? And they go, well, you you can say that word actually on, on our
2: show. It's totally uh,
3: okay. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty weird. So he gets on the phone and, you know, cordial guy. And uh, so I he said, listen, you can do whatever you want. We're, we're actually would like to ask you to do something totally nonpartisan. they mentioned to me that you're sort of nonpartisan. And here's what I'm proposing. He goes, this is the first year that 18 year olds are going to have the right to vote. And we want to get somebody your age that people are familiar with that looks young. Uh, They could go to high schools, and a lot of the times you'll be going with me and give a speech about why you need to exercise your right to vote. Come, you know, uh, end of '72, and uh, they said it would be totally non-political, and you can just you know talk about America and you know how great it is, and you have to exercise your right to vote. So yeah, I said, well, you know, yeah, I guess I could do that. So. For about four or five months, I did I flew around the country with Ronald Reagan, and we'd go to high schools and go in, and he'd I'd give my speech, and he'd give his, and he was hysterical. I mean, a funny guy. And uh, so I got well, to know it's him a time pretty when well. Republicans wanted people to vote, they, they were <laughs> yeah. encouraging
1: people to vote. Yeah. You know, instead of encouraging young of people to the vote them.
3: back then, you know, instead of going off and, you know, uh, sticking daisies down the muzzle of like guns and stuff like that <laughs> this is the, the hippie era but anyway through that i got sort of sucked in i got another call and that's how that celebrities for the president thing began uh, from some attorney. That, and i just said, you know i think i'm gonna do this I'm meeting interesting people it was fun and as long as nobody's telling me how to vote so i'm i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do it it was a very exciting year and you know i had no idea richard nixon watched tv or his daughter's Tisha and Julie, you know, they were big fans. And yeah, it, it just was an eye opener. You know, and just going to those parties was an eye opener in itself That's of all crazy. these stuffed shirts, you know, Republicans. And, you know, they're all in black suits and, and you know, and black tuxedos and they're in black. And I didn't know I showed up in a white tuxedo. My wife was wearing all white with a red bow tie. <laughs> like like you at I prom? I said, Right, right. Yeah, I was like, Harry Styles before Harry Styles or something. <laughs>
2: very nice. Well, this yeah. does bring us to um, far past our halfway point, where we well, uh, we. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. No, no, I, it's totally fine. To we would normally I would just catch you off, but it, it was really I, I interesting very talking happy to you. That
1: it's just a bit about you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: hey, you are. Instead she, of I our normal
2: stupidity, yes. Yeah. Yeah
3: well i like abnormal stupidity that that well, works
2: yeah. too well stick around yeah. for a couple minutes we've got some stupid stuff it's coming good. our way actually All right. uh, it gets nuttier it does it gets little right. ridiculous so uh, we're going to begin with our, our cooking beginning. segment actually so wow. uh it's uh, uncle charlie's never, chili or something yeah it's rarely <laughs> something edible though i have to say so uh yeah. we'll give this a shot at safe mart it's a safe mark time to safe mart and be safe Safe Mart is a proud sponsor of Food is for Eaten with Waspy Soda Pop. Today's special homemade margarine casserole for only $17.23. Come get some at Safe Mart. Be safe. Food is for Eaten. Food is for Eaten. Food is for Eaten with Waspy Soda Pop. Hey there, everybody. This is Waspy Soda Pop with another episode of Food is for Eatin'. I got a great one for you today. It's going to go fast and quick, so you need to make sure you take really good, careful notes. This is a great cocktail for you to make. For those of you who don't drink alcohol, well, too bad. You're going to have to figure this one out or just go get off that wagon and uh, enjoy some life, you know. AA's not for everybody. So besides that point, this is a good drink because we're coming into fall and it kind of mixes both... Summer and fall in a great, spongy little thing. I don't know if spongy is the right word, but I like saying it. Anyway, this is a grasshopper cocktail. Here are your ingredients. First, you want to get 3 quarters of fluid ounces of creme de menthe. Three-quarter fluid ounces of white creme de cacao. I think that I'm pronouncing that right. It's not cocoa. Then one-quarter fluid ounce of heavy cream, not whipping cream, just heavy cream. You wanna get five gourmet grasshoppers. The best bet is get them from Fluker's gourmet canned grasshoppers. Nothing better. And then one cup of ice. That's all you need for your ingredients. Now let's move on. Onto your instructions again. It's real quick, so pay attention. First, you want to carefully position two grasshoppers on the counter in front of you to act as friends or observers. You know, just to keep you company. It helps when making this recipe. Then you combine the crème de menthe, the crème de cacao, the cream, and the ice in a cocktail shaker, and you cover and shake it up until it's chilled. Because the ice does that. If you didn't have the ice in there, it won't get chilled. So make sure the ice is in there. Then you would strain that into a chilled cocktail glass. Then garnish it with three of the Flukers Gourmet Canned Grasshoppers. You put them around the rim inside on top of the drink. And there you have it. This is the best grasshopper drink you could possibly get. This is Waspy Soda Pop with Food is for Eating. I'll see you next time. Flukers. Is that real?
1: There's really a place that has canned grasshoppers, or
2: yes, yes, actually, that's a real product. Is uh, it
3: is Uh, actually. They used to have a a section in Bullocks, which was a department store where they had a gourmet product and they had chocolate covered grasshoppers, ants, uh, bee (laughs) larvae. So, this is back in, in the 60s, but we yeah, we bought it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we were just teenagers. We had it in the car, and we'd go, "Hey, hey, you want some chocolate?" And whoever was in the back seat, and they'd reach over, and, and yeah, they'd start eating, and we started snickering. And they go, wait a minute, what is this? What is this stuff?" And. So I go, what color was the wrapper? And he goes, blue. Go, blue, uh, yeah, you just ate a grasshopper leg.
2: <laughs> yeah, in this case, <laughs> the grasshoppers are actually meant for reptiles is what those that particular company sells them for. The weird thing is that there's normally a music bed there, and for some reason during the rendering process, the music was gone, and I listened to it beforehand. I'm like, why is there no music? So I'm very sad. It's not a highly professional product as normal.
1: Last <laughs> soda pop usually doesn't have real things in it. So that's why I was amazed that there actually
2: could... You could actually have the grasshoppers in your grasshopper. You could, I
1: could call up flukers and get some <laughs> grasshoppers delivered. That's amazing to me.
2: Yeah, yes. I think I think you should. I might. Now, I, guess I might. Now we do have to go on to our next segment really quick. So this is uh, hopefully, Brendan, if you have uh, the... Um, the emails from our 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 listeners for Greg's legal question for the day
0: he has an opinion may not always be right he's a real fake lawyer he's old and he's white ask him a question because he's a good egg for bogus advice ask Greg ask Greg ask Greg
1: Hey, Stanley, if you have to go to the bathroom right now, now's the time. (laughs) He's never going well. In
3: that case, I'll hang around. (laughs) Brendan will
2: get a legal question from our audience to ask Greg. Uh, Greg is not a lawyer, and so we do not recommend any advice that he gives, but uh, this is the Ask Greg segment of the show. Drunk law.
0: (laughs) That's right. Um, So, So much to choose from. I always try to pick something that you know, will apply to a lot of people, not be too specific. Um, Let's see. Oh, um, here's one. Um, Dear Greg, uh, I'm writing to you from my uh, home here in uh, South Missouri. Um, I need to divorce uh, my pet rock. Now, my pet rock and I have been together for a while, um, but He's just not cutting it anymore. So my question for you is this. As it is a rock and therefore an inanimate object, um, and I entered into this willingly against the state of Missouri's um, better sense, do I owe any sort of alimony to the rock having been married to the rock now for over 10 years, you know, in terms of Missouri? Or should I just uh, stay married to the rock and just put up with it dear uh, sincerely gladys,
2: <laughs> gladys. <laughs> apparently is your last name as if there's a gladys
1: left it in the world <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: the dead name but it depends on the pet rock's behavior did the pet rock cheat on gladys
0: you know, she, she, she sent saves. some pictures that were kind of a little racy, but she doesn't explain what they mean. The pet rock with other women or are... it's a lot of rocks. Like uh, you ever see those Zinn stack rocks thing? Is that a rock?
2: I <laughs> so was just wondering yeah, if the relationship was ever consummated. That was I my question. That's oh, awesome.
3: that, was <laughs> it, it was an inanimate object. That was kind of like my first wife. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that is a reason for divorce. Um yes, with of is. affection. If the
1: pet rock never put out, right, right. Uh, you, you're allowed to say, "Hey, she withheld affection. There was no, you know, whatever." Right. They get that. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the. pet. I need to know more about this. If this pet rock did something egregious in this relationship,
0: yes, yeah, she could get alimony. Okay. Well, what, what what questions would you like to ask, I'm, uh, dear Gladys? Were the, the like children
2: were the children pebbles? The That's children,
0: yes. Uh, yeah. Are there any children involved? Yeah. Okay. Uh, was the relationship consummated? Did you consummate the relationship exactly. <laughs> with The Rock at any point? Yeah, she
2: yeah we don't really have a lot of two-way conversation with these uh, questions, Greg. Remember, we we're basically only have what we're given.
1: I know what so, I'm yeah. saying. It's, it's important. It's, it's uh, pertinent to the issue. Uh, she could get alimony if these things were, if we knew these things. As far as we know, if The Pet Rock was a fine husband, was uh, upstanding, it might be a little hard. It's like I didn't what? do anything wrong. I'm a pet rock.
2: What would you if recommend you as proper alimony to give to a pet rock, Greg? What would be the form yeah. of currency? Well, is there, is there a Gladys
0: go. wanted the alimony, right?
1: Gladys wants the alimony from the pet rock. No, Dude,
0: she's, she was the working part of the rock. Had no job because oh. it's a rock, you know. <laughs> it's a rock. So she's she supports the rock. The rock is now mo- she's moving the rock out, maybe into the front yard. I don't know. Um, is just you owe anything to the rock? That's really the inherent bottom line of the question. I think the fact that the pet rock
1: wasn't upholding his duties as a husband, mm-hmm. uh, sexually, um, emotionally, that I think a judge would say that no, no alimony is necessary because you were—he was this pet rock was sponging off of her for however right. long they we were married.
0: I need to know this judge because I think there's a lot of guys out there that want this judge for
2: sure. (laughs) Well, a friend of Greg's, this particular judge is what I think.
0: Okay. All right. Well, good. Um, I will send it off. Boop. There we go.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Greg, once again, for your useless information. And thank
1: you for another totally <laughs> fake
3: legal question. That's never happened in the history None, of
2: jurisprudence. Sounds like
3: that rock might want to look into a special master.
0: <laughs> um, I, think they're, um, I think there's attorneys that specialize in rock, so perhaps the rock will find his.
2: I think now, Greg, Greg a is a special about... master.
1: I'm My oh, legal uh, uh, expertise was in mood rings. So, pick rocks. I'm a little. Lava lamps. Lava lamps, mood rings. That was my thing. That's your specialty? Yeah,
2: All right. Yeah. Well, let's get to our client for this. So, once again, we've hardly given our client any attention. Our client for today was Geeks, Nerds, and Dweebs. But that was also to get further into a discussion involving uh, putzes, schmucks, dorks. Shmendrix sure schmeckles whatever else you want to call it um and what those differences are and and like how those things came about now one of the things i realized that is a common factor between a number of those words is that in yiddish they mean penis like putz schmuck um dork is another like term i think schmender
1: means taint though that's the taint in between the not really
2: sure about that but i think it's interesting Well, considering the nature of our client, we can expect things to have gone downhill. And and Stanley, if you want to join in on this again, this is totally your choice. You can certainly give your opinion or run for the hills, because God knows where this is going to be heading. But um, I would like to say,
1: Stanley, if you do want to leave but before you go, though, I would. I'm curious, what do you see yourself on the spectrum? Would you say you're a nerd? Would you say you're a geek?
3: Or just not any of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of geeky about things. Yeah. yeah. You know, computers, uh, camera equipment. Yeah, there, you, there go. you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm yeah, not there sure there we goes. were
2: talking about a spectrum here, though, Greg. Uh-
3: well, it's kind of like well,
2: you're <laughs> like right. The spect- putts
1: spectrum, which is like. Yeah, putts. Putts are totally different than geeks or nerds. They're just like assholes, basically. Putts is like, you're a loser.
2: All right, well, I'm going to go through, go through some basic definitions so we can get kind of oh, on the same page, oh, right? Oh, so, good,
0: good, because I felt like that's what this was lacking. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is always did. your
2: favorite part when I do this, right, Brenda? Is that go what is it? So, a geek definition is an unfashionable or a socially inept person, whereas before it used to be a performer at a carnival or a circus whose show consisted of a bizarre oh. or grotesque <laughs> acts, you know, yeah, like, that's who bit off chicken biting heads. the heads off chickens. Now, a nerd. Is a foolish or contemptible person who lacks social skills or is boringly studious. So I think there's the differentiation with that. A My Dweeb dream. is kind of the same, but Dweeb is a boring, studious, or socially inept person. A putz is a stupid or worthless person, or somebody who engages in inconsequential or unproductive activity. A schmuck is a foolish or contemptible person. A dork is uh well that's uh, just basically a slang term for a penis, but it's also alternative form of dick is that word. And uh apparently um that started off as a nickname for Richard, meaning fellow, but by the late eighteen hundreds it had taken on an additional meaning of penis, which you know, we should probably dig into that a little bit further. So anyway so wait, what
0: we're talking about you're yeah. promoting that we should dig into this penis
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're a doctor.
1: Okay. Good. good. Any digging clarify. into any
2: penises, but good. it's interesting that the word penis is used in so many different ways to call somebody a name. Like, why did somebody choose that as yeah. the word to use to insult somebody? Whereas no most unless... guys
1: are happy with their penis, proud of their penises. Like,
2: yeah. You know? But why does it become an insult then? That why is it calling yeah. somebody a penis is an insult? Why is interesting that? Interesting question. Is, <laughs> is it, it's. <laughs> So, but well, what's, what's the story I mean, it behind of, it though do you think
0: it, it kind of goes back to you know that you know if you're not a, a masculine or tough guy that you're gonna get called a pussy and i can't think of anything that's more resilient than one of those things so i mean that doesn't make any sense either
2: yeah those do get a lot of abuse and usually from penises that they, they get a lot right. of abuse from. so so but i guess going back through the centuries then there was some. Was it? Do you think when they were cutting them off and throwing them at people that possibly that, that was no, a thing? I don't know that that was. A I thing. do think
1: all the definitions you had were like they've changed. Like geek yeah. now is like you could be, you know, that sounds like a total loser. What you described, geeks yeah. now are like Bill Gates, multi billionaires. They're like geeks have taken over the world, and nerds even have, even like guys like um, the guys who do the MCU movies. There were nerds who like Marvel comic, read comic books as kids. And now they're billionaires. Well, so I think if you're going to be
2: in the movie business, like if you're a director or a producer, you kind of have to be a bit of a nerd
1: you know, <laughs> because correct. you
2: have to get into the minutia of creating a scene or creating a a project, you need it's to nerd, get those guys. details down. I don't know, Stanley. What would you say? I mean, you're the expert in this particular oh, arena nice. in terms of. Filmmaking I, I think nerds.
3: the the definitions have changed over time. You know, I mean, guys like Bill Gates or you know, uh, was the well, he wasn't really, I think, a nerd, but Steve Jobs, you know, have made that respectable. <laughs> calling somebody that, it's like yeah, it's cool now. You're. Uh, you're not cool. Yeah. Well, I'm cool because I got a billion dollars and you don't. You know. Exactly. So you can call me. You can call me whatever you want <laughs> to call me. Yeah. I don't give a shit what you call me. Yeah. So, so me,
0: to me, the question. I mean, you get into putts and schmuts and schmegle or whatever you were saying. Muts. Yeah. But really, what is the crucial difference between a geek and a nerd? Those terms get used somewhat interchangeably, but we all know they kind of mean different things. I think when we were all younger, nerd was more the word that was used. Now there's geeks, and geeks are different than nerds? Or one... I think
2: geeks are more specialized, perhaps. They're smarter,
0: I think. Geeks are smarter.
1: They're, they're like, smarter
2: than they're... nerds? They have more specialized well, information like, than nerds Nerds have. have
1: specialized information that's not profitable, like a comic nerd. Or, yeah. oh, he's a and d nerd. But a geek is like someone like Bill Gates, who's like, oh, I'm a total geek for computers. I,
3: I... I think a gates is, yeah, being sort of technically savvy, you know, Yeah. Where, where a nerd is just, you know, he's just into whatever he's into, but like they, these guys are specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me too, I guess. To like,
1: my knowledge of comic books is off the f-
3: fucking hook, but what does that get me? I, I, I'm a dishwasher. <laughs> well, if you, if you have <laughs> Superman number one, it gets you a million dollars. Right. Well, or, yes, I had that,
0: yeah. If you were more geeky in other aspects of it, so so I think you're, I think that's a good point. Is that a nerd is a more generalist and certainly uh, tends to be like you could be a nerd for. I, I have a friend, like as an no. example, I have a friend I, I know not many, just a few, but he was really into backpacks for a while. Like, oh my god, this guy could talk for hours about different types of backpacks and this backpack and that backpack and comparing backpacks. I've never heard of that nerd. I know. <laughs> well. <laughs> you don't run with computer programmers. So is he a geek or is he a is he a geek about backpacks or is he just a nerd and backpack is his kind of focus area at this point cuz next week it'll be pocket watches or
2: <laughs> well i guess the question is does he make backpacks? No. Then he's a nerd. Yeah. He's a nerd. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If he made a million dollars from
1: making an amazing backpack and selling it he'd be a geek.
2: Well, if he knew okay, how to so- fix backpacks, he could still be a geek. You yeah, wouldn't he have to like- make a million dollars from it to be a geek. If because there's the those guys brilliant. who are like geeks or arrest people who fix computers and things. They're not necessarily making millions of dollars. But the, I guess uh, where I'm curious is how is it we got from biting the heads off of chickens to somebody who's technically proficient at a topic? Good question.
3: Like, <laughs> Come That's a freak, house. not a geek. That's a <laughs> freak, not a geek.
0: Right, which was why I was going, well, maybe the specialist thing is where this kind of settles out. Because a geek, like a circus geek, well, I guess they were usually just one kind of performer in the circus. They were the ones that did the really weird stuff. They weren't the – a bearded lady was a geek but just a freak. But freak. the geek was the one that had, like, tattoos all over his face and, yeah, ate chickens live on stage or whatever. That was – and they were usually pathetic alcoholics. That's how they got into it. They I were supposed so, think a they lot of the just, they were just
4: they wanted to
1: get people. They just give them a bottle of bourbon and be like, This is your job, and we'll pay you in bottles of booze. They were like, it's it was sad
0: being Time so. out, time out. The guys that, that did renovations on my house like about six months ago, that was how I paid them. So they were geeks and I didn't know it.
2: <laughs> Wait, now <laughs> Brendan, you used to live near like the, the freak town in Florida, right? I've mm-hmm. yeah, so so- been there. Right. So when you were there, how would you have described the different people who were living in that particular town?
0: Well, you really had to. Yeah, this is kind of, I come from some background knowledge. There, there were the freaks. The freaks were just, they were all freaks. That yeah. was sort of the, the broad.
2: And what made them freaks? Term.
0: Well, like little people, bearded ladies. The, little, the claw hand people, the, people yeah. with the legs, all that kind of stuff.
2: And then was. Babies.
0: within the freak community, there were geeks. Geeks specifically did not have some sort of physical <laughs> and there with <was> Stanley
2: <laughs> he just took the video <laughs> off he's still here no it's
0: okay the, the I wouldn't blame him the freaks were <laughs> like the ones that had some sort of physical disability the geeks were the ones that didn't but did something weird like eat light bulbs or sword swallow or whatever those were the geeks whereas the freaks were the ones that actually had some sort of deformity basically that was how it was explained to me by this guy in a red wagon with no legs. So, so I mean,
2: he had no legs, or the wagon had no legs.
0: The wagon never had legs; it had wheels, all four. But he had no legs, and he was. Yeah, like, wagons, hey, wagons don't, don't have legs,
1: man.
2: So, wagons <laughs> have, have
1: wheels. Anyway,
2: because if wagons have legs, they're called a table
1: <laughs> or <laughs> Baba Yaga.
2: No, that's. That's Russian. a Russian witch, but yeah. uh, that's not the same thing. But I think I think where we can see modern-day geeks coming from the guys who cut the heads off of chickens. No, I don't. Heads off chickens, those guys were
1: morons. Those guys were like alcoholic. Just... No, what I'm saying, but I'm,
2: in terms of where the word changed, how it changed, how is, it is because, as Brendan was saying, the geeks at the circus had a specific task that only they were able to do or only they were willing to do. And not that, anyone
1: could have bit the head off a chicken. They just had to be desperate enough to.
2: Not anyone it. would have bitten the head off a chicken, Grace. Yeah.
1: If you were out, if you had descended enough in your <laughs> life where you were drunk and you were just so pathetic that, Hey, if I get a bottle of booze every day, I'm happy. I'll do anything. I don't know if it's a skill set.
2: I'm, I'm saying <laughs> at the time <laughs> that was somebody only a particular person Stanley. If you're trying to say something, you're muted right now. Um, you but uh, yeah, we need Staley's
1: opinion on this. <laughs>
2: well, because I know, I know. Our he guy, would know. Like who on my three no! sons? It's which so one of the which one of the people? Guest. My three sons was the
0: geek or no, the I nerd? Think, I think our guest council has a lot. To, uh, you know, just just from you know the the lifestyle that yeah. he's lived. Uh, I think, I, I think like Ernie just, would
3: have been known as the nerd or the geek on our show, primarily because he just had the quintessential look of a GERD. A neat, uh, nerd or a geek back then, which was a guy with glasses that looked brainy, right? Yeah.
2: You know, and I, he- I
3: don't think it had any weird connotation to it. You just were, it was like a euphemism for being an overly smart guy or a genius or something. You what know? about Richard Nixon though? Richard Nixon, what did you what would you classify him
1: as? Was he nerdy, geeky?
3: Um, no, not really nerdy. I mean, he was more you know homespun than I would have thought. You know. <laughs> he hadn't had the he was a uh, quaker to like you know commit <laughs> crimes it was sort of like andy <laughs> griffith or something you know? a <laughs> Some weird looking guy that god you know you you just don't know how people are really going to be i mean you know certain people commit crimes and didn't even need to you know there was no way he was not going to be re-elected then
1: did you ever get to talk to richard nixon after this whole shakedown of watergate no,
3: like years no. later you There came a point where, yeah, I just decided, you know what, I'm better off out of here. Uh, But I didn't know where it was going. And when I was doing some of that high school stuff, the uh, Watergate thing had already broken. I had to go back to them and go, hey, look, I'm going out and I'm talking about this. But they want to talk about that. What do I say? Uh, I think they should know.
2: have taken Nixon and have him replace Fred McMurray on the show, and it would have been a completely uh, different. You know film. what?
3: He would have been pretty good. Oh, boys! I'm I'm not a crunk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you gonna play oh, the boy. show of the episode.
2: Right. <laughs> Fred G. Gordon Liddy plays Uncle Charlie. Oh,
3: he would been great. Yeah, I think he would have been better on Leave It to Beaver. You know, as Ward <laughs> and June could have been Pat Nixon. And, oh, uh, that is a good
0: one. I like that.
3: <laughs> yeah, Eddie Haskell been... is Howard Hunt. Yeah, yeah, Earl yeah. <laughs> come in or something. Yeah, yeah, it was uh pretty weird. I mean, you know, you just look at the package and you go, I would have never expected that out of that guy.
0: I, you know, I, you just, know, I honestly, uh, you know, whatever, I don't think anyone probably starts off on that path and gets there. I think they start off one way and they end up there, and I think that's all that happened to him or any of these guys. It just, yeah, you
3: know, they're like, well, going you know, this what way, it is. and then they
0: go this way, you know.
3: That that's the weird thing about politics to me is anybody can be it. You know, you decide you want to run. You can be a guy that was cleaning out septic tanks. You know, this morning going, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I you know, I can get myself elected and make two hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm running. I don't want to sell shoes anymore. <laughs> you because know, right. there's no qualifications for somebody running. Out. I mean, you don't need a legal degree. You don't need a a degree in political science or. Right, you, you know, could be you could be like a cocktail thing. waitress in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, and you mean you're Ronald Reagan? Reagan.
3: <laughs> yeah, or so Ronald Reagan
0: a yeah. darling.
3: I mean,
2: yeah. You know. yeah. Well, Ronald Reagan. Can... I know, I, go, I want to give Ronald Reagan some credit. I never voted for the guy, but he did run SAG before he ran for governor. That's, that's true. true. That, 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 which is a political it's... position, you know. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and the so guy he did, did have was... a little bit of practice dealing with people. I didn't want to say
1: Trump because we talked about him a lot. Yeah, yeah, Donald Trump. You, yeah. you you
0: talk about him a lot.
2: Well, <laughs> we we have we've done it full episodes regarding Trump and his insanity. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, he's still out there. That's the amazing part. Yeah, I'm, well, wait- yes, I'm waiting still, for that. He's still the, uh, out
2: there, just like uh, you know the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's still just like Sasquatch. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Sasquatch
0: is still out there. <laughs> That's, uh, I think I, it's, it's Trump's some, later career he'll me. be
2: roaming the woods of British Columbia as what will be. become a no. Yeti.
0: <laughs> leave him in Florida, he could be the the skunk ape or whatever the monster is down there. Don't bring that. I left Florida because his people are sort of settling. They've always been sort of settling there, but now they're really kind of. Building He's gonna ball. be like the
3: orange orange boogeyman out in Boggy Creek or something. <laughs> Watch him run for governor.
2: Oh God! Mar- yeah, are we are we heard heard the Boggy
1: Creek films. No, nah, he, he would
2: he would never of run course. for governor. He was president. He would never be- lower himself to being governor or something else. Yeah. He might, he might that's all, that's a, off brand a, for Trump.
3: A, as a senator, because you could become Speaker of the House and, you know, have a lot of power, as you can see with Mitch McConnell. He's, yeah, but, he's but he really wouldn't want to
2: be Speaker either. has been everything
3: for the past five years. Are you kidding? You couldn't stop him from speaking. Yeah. Stanley, <laughs> I'm curious,
1: as an ex-Republican, what do you think about the Republican Party now?
3: Oh, I'm not a Republican now. I
1: know, but what do you yeah. think about them? Are, I was, you, disgusted? Are you
3: disgusted? Disgusted. Yeah, it's yeah. not even a political party. I mean, yeah, I think they had some validity, although I didn't agree with any of their policies or whatever. But uh, yeah, now it's just like a, it's a freak show, is basically what it is. <laughs> I mean, somehow they've, they've been taken over by the freaks and geeks. and.
2: Oh, that's a good idea. And... So let's start naming off. So Mitch McConnell, freak, geek, putz, dork. But Schlub. No, Dork. Dork. McCollum's I would say a traitor because I'm radical is, yeah, I
1: Well, but McConnell
2: America. McConnell wasn't like uh behind the insurrection or anything that and actually spoke out against it. And his wife walked no. away from the cabinet. That's like in that well.
1: instance, but everything yeah. he fights for is like against the principles of America, like, oh, the president gets to declare the new Supreme Court justice. No, Merrick Garland, sorry. He, he just makes it up. He just says Yeah,
3: no. he just makes it up and gets it. Okay, Merrick Garland.
1: And
2: we've lost to Supreme Court Justice. Okay, well, whatever yeah. the but debates then, of then the he, merits of he, Mitch McConnell.
0: Yeah, here, here we here we get to the real the real point. Here we get to the real point is once you get to that point, Greg, and you are the one that can make exercise your will, whatever that may be, would you? And wouldn't that make you a traitor to the people that think what you think is a bad idea? I mean, aren't we really just talking about no, who's in that power that. gets to wield it? I would follow the rules because I like the Constitution. I would follow the well, rules. He is, is it, following down. He is following the
1: rules. Any sitting president party. can elect a Supreme Court justice. It's always but, been the rule. But, but, the but cynical, somehow, but it the sitting can also. Class also class but
0: the year. Oh God, we're going to get to who's the Senate can also I, stop it. That's the
1: point you don't I, or, understand. Yeah, America was a pretty good guy. It wasn't like there was no reason to. He was a perfectly fine
3: candidate. I think what we've learned out of all of this is <laughs> there are no rules. There were just norms, and we all thought they were rules. I know. But what they need to do is they need to come up with rules so they're hard and fast and you can't bend them. You know, because right. then you're just relying on the integrity of the person in office and as far right. as I can see, I don't think Republicans have any integrity. Right. So so then who creates the
2: geeks, nerds, geeks? <laughs> the, the people I'm trying to like keep the our power. client totally well, above Matt. just like I sensible. think
0: I think using this I think the nerds create having worked in Washington, we both have. Yeah. I think the nerds create the laws. I think the geeks are the ones in front of the cameras. Those
2: yeah, are the, who are, the who are the schmucks though. Which ones are the schmucks?
0: Any of the press secretaries, regardless of political party, <laughs> all
3: the liars. Yeah. All it's of them. the messenger. They're not yeah making anything up. It's just, you know, here it is. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. Yeah. I can't <laughs> think of a single
0: press secretary that's been worth anything. I still feel so here. bad for
1: that one guy. He was the Trump's first press secretary that Chubby. Oh,
2: you're talking about uh, Sean Spicer?
1: Sean Spicer? Thank you. Oh my God. I felt bad for that guy, even though I hated him. I was like, wow, you're doing the devil's work. But it was like, he just, he just seems so put upon. And like, they all, the are, of his he they just all seems are. So, League?
0: I, I think Sean just wore it badly. Like, you could see it on his face. Yes. He wasn't.
3: He knows, he's lying. He knows right. he's lying. It's like when I they know. were showing the crowd in front of, you know, the, uh, the Capitol on the, yeah. when he was giving his speech. And he had to go around and say that it was the largest crowd. Period. And it's like you're yeah. looking at the picture going, that yeah. crowd's not very large. <laughs> what is he talking about? No, but I gotta no. say
1: I almost felt sorry for him after a while.
3: It's just like, oh, this poor guy. He's oh, fucked. Well, you sold before. your soul, soul to the devil to have that yeah. position. That's all it is. Look at Kellyanne Conway. I mean, you know. You oh, know I don't you think don't like Kellyanne facts, Conway had matter. a soul to sell. Yeah. She is a uh, geek. That
2: one is a geek. She's Kellyanne. Not a
0: nerd. Oh yeah. No. Her a, is a nerd?
2: A She's a geek. What about Ann Coulter? Geek. Awful. <laughs> yeah.
0: Geek. She'd bite You're a head off a one. chicken. She's a not smart enough to be a
1: She'd
2: be like though. the circus sideshow geek. She's not yeah. yeah. Oh
0: yeah. No, we're <laughs> getting closer and closer to chicken biting and She'll
3: sure bite the head so off a liberal, liberal
0: in a second.
1: They'd <laughs> so have her
3: on that wheel that or they'd liberal. throw the knives at her. <laughs> Can I spin that wheel. Oops, miss. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Kelly. <laughs> all
2: right, welcome to another edition of Spot the Republican. All right. What so, is, does Doofus, <laughs> Doofus fit in here? Is Doofus? Doofus could it? be part of it as well. You know, I think it all That's comes down to w, stupid right? people. You know, back in in the days, the early days of my three sons, before terms like uh, nerds and geeks, what were the words that people used to describe somebody other than, I guess, st- stupid or idiot? I or e. Ernie.
3: No, yeah, no, just a basic smart. idiot or you're dumb. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we yeah. had other words to describe things other than people like cool or yeah. clunky. Clunky. Well, I, I know one that I one of, of the
2: key words in um, My Three Sons was the word neat. Like things were neat.
3: Yeah, neat, what? cool, clunky. Oh, neat. Yeah, the, yeah. Those were words that we used a lot. Not necessarily described people. Clunky was the, the big one. Huh? That's the one I always that. get reminded me of. Yeah, yeah. You're. I don't want to go with that clunky girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I never heard that word. In, I want to bring clunky life. back. <laughs> I talk about I clunky. You
0: know, I talk like about clunky all the time, but I talk about clunky design. Like somebody'll design a web page or a software or something. I'm like, yeah, but it's clunky. So I use clunky. I never thought of a clunky person, but I could totally see a clunky person.
2: I, I think that basically three of us on this picture are clunky, to be honest. Now,
1: Stanley, would you say a clunky girl it could be just, it could be just a warm girl? On, girl on clunky. Who's kind of nice? Would I would say it'd be like a, oh, that of a
3: clunky girl when she wasn't too appetizing or appealing. Okay. You know? That's what uh, I was I asking. Well, it's I, like her her yeah, looks I, I...
2: weren't working well together. Yeah, yeah,
3: well, yeah the whole package Yeah, the package just,
0: yeah, that's what it means. I mean from a design perspective, that's what it means. It just it, it's it's just off. It's not like repulsive, but it's just off. It's just clunky. It just doesn't fit. Like, that's some, something were too wrong. Big, yeah, some missing were an ankle big, bone. She's got a small <laughs>
3: head something really. small yeah. like a really tiny
2: head, <laughs> she's, a a head. <laughs> she's a
3: pinhead. we exactly. never had any of those on my three sons Not i'm Everybody sure they didn't perfect. make it past the. the it was the my
2: three sons with just pinheads playing everybody's part yeah yeah be good to go
1: the freaks episode we went to the freak show and chip fell in love with the pinhead girl <laughs> uh, yeah, or the you know, snake he brought him
2: home. <laughs> I want but, that episode. And maybe that's why you never saw pictures of the widow. I mean, of the widower. Of the, of you the, do Ma- see Maury a picture of her. Wife. I, oh, I oh. never
3: knew that. There's actually an episode where on Steve's desk, you see the woman who was his wife. And I never realized that I wasn't in that scene, but uh, yeah, he refers to her, uh, you know, as his wife. And there's a picture over there. And what, she wasn't what I thought she would be, you know. It was like, oh, kind of a Betty Crocker-looking kind of lady, you know. Uh, uh, did you, uh, you think know. she was going to be more exotic? Barbara Stanwyck? Uh. Well, uh, you know, yeah, a little more exotic. Little Joan Collins picture. or something. Joan yeah. Collins, Dor. No, I I would picture him with like Doris Day. It seemed like they would be yeah. a, a perfect be- couple to be in My Through Sons.
2: Like a father knows best type couple.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Doris Day is, you know, she was pretty cool for back then. Women, women loved her, guys loved her. I loved her. I did a movie with her, so that's the reason I like her. I did Please Don't Eat the Daisies with her. She was pretty cool. When, did
2: they, uh, when did they have to stop people from actually eating daisies, though?
3: Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I did a publicity picture with, like, a handful of daisies in my mouth. I don't know <laughs> what that was supposed to mean. Uh, I'm sure a- the
1: insurance guys gave you shit about it. Like, you can't eat daisies anymore. Hey, look, if they could replace <laughs> no the
3: for glasses. No, uh, no baseball, no eating
2: daisies. Cool. I, was at,
0: I was at my nephew's farm, and they they were constantly, they're all vegans. They were feeding me flowers. They cooked um, sunflowers on the grill. It was actually pretty good. But, yeah, they had a lot of flowers. So somebody needs to talk to the hippies. They're still doing it. Did
1: they put spices yeah. on the flowers? Mm-hmm. Like. Sometimes,
0: sometimes the the little girls, my my little nieces, I guess, whatever or whatever they are, little the little kids that are the children of my brother's son, my nephew, they would just bring me flowers. Like, look, eat this one. You can eat this. I'm like, I hope this is true.
2: I I hope no dog peed on this. (laughs) At least
0: roughage. I didn't start hallucinating, and I I made it to Wednesday, so I guess I'm okay.
2: Well we could we could certainly like utilize all of Stanley's free time today, but I'm sure he has a much more important yeah
3: i'm getting I'm getting a warning here too i I just disappeared I came up and said "Your batterys about
2: fried so." <laughs>
3: No, I, I want to I just, thank you
2: very, very much, Stanley, right. for coming on the show. This is Stanley Yay, Livingston, blast. known for My Three Sons oh, and many, many things Stanley. that he did in his life after My Three Sons as well. But go to his website, www.stanleylivingston.com, and also look at his artwork. He's actually got some really good stuff at stanleylivingstonart.com. Um, is there anything coming up that you want to promote really quick, Stanley, in any way?
3: no I well I do have another project that is coming up it's called the actor's journey it's it's actually already made and we had it up but I had to take it down uh well because of COVID but I also moved uh not too long ago and I couldn't deal with it but we made a project actually for actors uh but it has nothing to do with acting it has to do with the business side of being an actor oh Uh, and that's a 10 hour long program on the business of being an actor and I brought together a hundred people from the industry—directors, uh, producers, uh, agents, managers, uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild, the president of the DGA—and wow. they teach this program on what you're supposed to be doing when you're not acting, which is pretty much 95, 98 percent of your time. And that's something that's not taught at uh, you know acting schools or universities or colleges but 45 of the people that we brought in for this project have either won or been nominated for Academy Emmy Gold, Globe Awards, and they've been almost to a person in the industry uh, 25, 30 years. So you're getting this information from the horse's mouth. And so the Actors anyway, Journey, it, and, that, and that's Yeah, a, it's called the Actors Journey.
2: You're, be you're preparing that again. for streaming, right?
3: We're preparing it for streaming, yeah, right. Yeah. It used to be a DVD product, and it's going to come back up again in probably about 30 to 60 days. Uh, right now if you go to YouTube and type in the actors' journey you can watch some clips and uh, you can see a lot of the people who are involved in it uh, you know the well you're gonna know the actors more than the directors but there was some big directors of all Richard Donner the guy that did wow. all the lethal weapon yeah. movies the the omen uh, what else um, Superman. Yeah, so we had some really huge people that really wanted to jump on more because this information just isn't out there. And, you know, these people spend anywhere from ten to to $100,000 learning the art and craft of acting. And then it all comes to a screeching halt because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing to, uh, you know, to start launch a career and uh, sustain it and try and keep it going. But this kind of resolves all those problems.
2: Ah, wow, that sounds great. That's probably yeah, yeah, something that real- should be taught at schools, I would think.
3: Yeah, maybe at some point. Yeah, it's at the uh, colleges or universities. Yeah, I designed it so it could be taught as a 10-week course. It's actually uh, an eight-volume, 10-hour-long program. So I figure if it ends up in either an extension school that goes about 10 weeks, it's perfect for that.
2: I'm
1: just curious, as a poor guy, being on My Three Sons and it's still being shown... You could live off that forever. Are you, are you getting good royalties?
3: Are you? No, we don't get good royalties. On oh, that. no. But, you know, the side benefit of being on it, it's, you know, opened a, a lot of doors and kept a lot of other things going. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the thing you want. I mean, when I did it, you know, I never knew it was going to run 12 years to begin with. And then, you know, most shows have their shelf life, which is usually maybe a couple more years after the show is off. Our show has literally continuously been on the air since 1960. But you don't
2: profit from that?
3: um not directly sometimes i do though sometimes we'll still get residuals for certain things but you know for the stuff that was on cable we didn't unfortunately our union uh didn't negotiate a great
2: contract for us but, yeah he makes but, huge uh, money being on podcasts like ours greg no not
1: that <laughs> i, <laughs> I gotta retire right sense. after <laughs> this show
2: this is it this was the big one this is this is what his culmination of his career is stuck with us right. so. I, hang, no. I hang my
3: hat on this one
2: so please don't. <laughs> don't hang any
0: hats, don't hang <laughs>
3: pictures, nothing. Don't talk about hanging even. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe don't mention you were on the show. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't
1: Tell
3: do anybody. that a lot. <laughs> so yeah, you, don't, you don't get to know. I'm always surprised when people find out after they've known me for a year, and then they're like, wait a minute, I just found out who you were. You know? Like, oh, really? <laughs> who, who am I? I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> uh, Good question.
2: Well, thank, thank you me. again. That's anyway, Stanley that, Livingston yeah. for my three sons and like I said, many other guys, things.
3: It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank yeah, you. He's helped you us
2: know. out with our client, which is Geeks, Dweebs, and Dorks or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't remember. We'll
3: <laughs> figure that one out, let me know. <laughs> You'll definitely right. get a quibbly next year.
2: Yes. We have know. an award show every year, so you you're getting a quibbly. Ooh. So we'll, we'll reach back out to you for the award show. It'll be in June. All right, guys.
3: All right. All well, right. have a good night. Pleasure. Take you care.
2: Thank you All again.
0: Your consultation with the law offices of Quiddle, Squabble, and Picker has ended. You may pay your retainer at www.qsblah.org. Please exit to the right of the water cooler and grab a candy from the front desk. We hope to see you again soon, but you need to leave now. I said leave. Why don't they have a listen? Get out! Get out!